The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks your climate-focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson. Listeners, next week is Thanksgiving, right? (laughs) That means we are going to leave you to your travels, your kitchen prep, whatever the week before Turkey Day holds for you, and we will skip next week's episode. But we will be back in your ears on November 28th with two guests, a little two-for-one that you'll hear about at the end of the show. And of course, we still have today's very special guest to get to. Mike Smith is the co-founder and CEO of Acclimate, and that is spelled A-C-L-Y-M-A-T-E, like the verb acclimate, a software company dedicated to helping small and medium-sized businesses reach their net zero goals. Listeners, more and more businesses are incorporating sustainability practices into their business planning, and I think it's good to know the options and resources that are available to meet these goals, which can at times feel daunting. Mike brings his Navy background and love for the environment to his role as an innovator, and I can't wait for you to hear about all the ways that he says, not me, I just agree with him, the market can help be part of the solution to climate change. My conversation with Mike Smith is coming up next. Welcome back, listeners. I'm so happy to bring you conversation this afternoon with Mike Smith coming at us from Denver, Colorado. Mike, welcome to the show. Hi, Chelsea. Thanks for having me. So tell us, tell our listeners a little bit about Acclimate, which uh, for those listeners that are rushing over to your computer to Google it, you're going to spell that with a Y instead of an I, so A-C-L-Y-M-A-T dot com. Tell us about Acclimate, Mike, and and what compelled you to found your company. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, my previous company, I was uh, involved in post-fire reforestation um, for carbon offset production. And uh, I'd spent a lot of time kind of trying to educate people about like carbon markets and climate policy. Um, and I was even in an advisory capacity to an outfit called the U.S. Climate Alliance, which were the 26 oh. states that were in the Paris Accords yeah. um, here in the United States. And there was a lot of people there that were educated about climate, cared about it. It was their job, too. Um, and they were feeling a little overwhelmed about carbon markets, climate policy, uh, nature-based solutions. And I just thought, man, we are hosed. Um, like, if people that, like, in government that are paid to care about this and do are having a hard time accessing this, like, what are the rest of us going to do? And frankly, like, I think that there's a really important role for government in a lot of different ways, but like, this is mostly a bottom up solution. This is about like, how do we make this accessible to everybody to, to be able to be part of the solution? Um, and so that was the birth of acclimate, which is um, how do we educate and empower everybody to, to act in their, uh, for our best climate future. Um, specifically, we started with small businesses in the United States. Um, and the reason we did that is because we think small businesses are the critical linchpin to decarbonization uh, on a planetary scale, specifically in the U.S. Uh, it doesn't get talked about a lot, but small businesses are, uh, if they were a standalone country, small businesses in the United States would be the fourth largest emitter on the planet. Seriously? Wow. Yeah. And it's because small businesses are such a huge part of the U.S. economy, which is the largest economy on the planet. Yeah. And so um, if we aren't giving them 
the solutions to make, because billions of decisions happen in every day by people that aren't sustainability professionals in government or large corporations. And so if we're not engaging the rest of the population to do this, we're just not going to get there. So small businesses uh, have a huge uh, footprint. They have, they're a huge part of the U.S. economy. They're connected both up market towards the large corporations as part of supply chains and down market. They're much closer to their employees than like large organizations. Mm-hmm. And we just thought these are the people that need the tools to do the thing. And so what kind of tools are you empowering them with then? Um, so the first thing uh, that we we uh we work on is, is making sure that everybody really has like a meaningful and real way to engage with their footprint, not in a, historically, there's been like two ways that you, as a small business, a small to medium sized business, um, you could engage in this. Um, one, you could hire a consultant. They would give you an expensive report and at the, and they'd say, see you next year. And then you'd have to go kind of do it yourself and figure it out. Yeah. Uh, or two is you could go to these uh, free online calculators Figure out what your footprint is. It wouldn't really tell you much because it was mostly just there to kind of sell you offsets. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm, I believe in offsets, but like I think the first step is is giving somebody the real tool, the real data to figure out where their emissions are coming from. So we created an, uh, an affordable uh, software solution where people can uh, connect up their existing utility bills, connect up to their accounting solutions, and we just pull this data in and we give them uh, better calculations. Real data, like things where they can see not just like, okay, this is what my footprint was for the year, but this is what my footprint is per employee, per month, per office, per whatever, however you want to break it out. And uh, presented to you in a way where you don't have to be like an expert, but where the information is just kind of incepted into your brain, where you see like in high color contrast, oh, that's a lot of purple. It looks like I've got you know, a fairly big travel footprint. Um, so that's kind of the first step of it there. But there's also like this educational component of like, okay, now what? Now that you see this, what are the things that you can do? And so we have uh, the ability to kind of start to steer people that direction as well. So you can kind of make like a portfolio, right? Like you could do that, like of of different options and show what the impact of those options would be. That's right. And then, uh, and then from there, we move on to offsets. We do have an offset marketplace and we believe that the most responsible companies uh, both decarbonize are working to reduce their emissions footprint and offset the rest. Um, you know, I'm a big believer in market solutions, mm-hmm. which is why I founded two companies that are focused on market solutions. Um, and offsets are definitely part of that, um, which is uh, you're, you know, you're in a kind of the libertarian mindset, which is that if you're creating damage, then you should also be responsible for fi- fixing that damage. Yeah. Um, and so offsets are a way to, to, to do that. And they also have a lot of these co-benefits associated with rural economic development, you know, preservation of, of habitat for you know, for uh, biodiversity and for hunting um, as appropriate. There's just a lot of neat things that happen with offsets. So we have, as far as I can tell, the largest selection of offsets available on the internet. So whatever you're looking for, we probably got it. Um, over 200 on the on the, the, the site right now. So for those listeners that may have heard negative things about carbon offsets, how do you respond to that, to that sort of backlash that there are ways for companies to greenwash um, their climate efforts? So humans tend to be very categorical and you tend to think it's like either A or it's B and the reality is it's not. So yeah, there are some offsets that need to improve um, and that's, they would be dishonest to say otherwise, right? We need to, we need to clean up uh, bad actors in the space. But I'd also say that for the companies that um, are engaging in offsetting activity, like there's actually a lot of good like market research about this that says, uh, that shows that they're decarbonizing faster. They're not doing this to avoid decarbonizing. They're doing this plus decarbonizing. Like this is what responsible companies do. Right. 
And then within the offset space, there are a lot of great offsets. Um, and so you need to be careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater here um, and make sure that uh, you're, you're, you know, selecting the offsets that, that make the most sense. Um, one of the things our service does provide is uh, an offset survey uh, and where you're able to put in what your preferences are and we can help make recommendations for what would be the right offset for your company. Have you um, simulated what kind of um, impact the offsets have? I know there are different um, simulators out there like En-ROADS and stuff. Have And listeners, if you are getting this, yes, on Tuesday, um, November 14th, which is when the episode is going to run, um, Mike, yes, tomorrow, um, sign up for our webinar on the 15th with Andrew Jones. He's going to come and, and any participant in that webinar will get to simulate uh, climate solutions, which um, I think is really fun and cool and exciting. And, he, and he's a past guest on the show. So I'm just wondering, have you have you engaged with that tool and how you, it sort of shows different um, formulas, for lack of a better word, for solving climate change? Um, so... One, I love En-ROADS. Like, like my climate nerd heart just beat <laughs> an extra shade of green when you said that. Um, so uh, I was able to, uh, I was able, I've been playing with En-ROADS for several years. I actually got to see like an early version of it at, a, uh, at a, um, an investment conference. And it's phenomenal. And one of the things that En-ROADS really uh, steers out pretty clearly there is, is that uh, carbon pricing is an essential mechanism uh, towards decarbonization. Any uh, advocate of kind of, of market solutions generally recognizes that, which is like the most efficient way for the market to respond is to have a market price. Even internally to your own company, creating a, a carbon price, you can use social cost of carbon, but that's a fairly contrived mm-hmm. number, you know, based on it's, a, it's an academic number. Um, and so I always advocate for an offset um, and buy a good one. Buy, frankly, if you if you really want to decarbonize, commit to an expensive one, because one, uh, the expensive ones do tend to be higher quality. But two, more importantly, is it gives you a real economic internal incentive for you to think about like, okay, if I do this thing, it's going to cost me this amount of money in in offsetting it. So what are the the incentives for me to decarbonize in a different way? And it's, you know, I'm an old Navy guy. And so like they always talked about that uh, in the Navy, uh, you should expect what you inspect. Uh, but it's also, you know, in, in business parlance, which is, is that you, you know, you manage what you measure. And so tying those all together creates good business incentives for you to get ahead of things. You just touched on your Navy career. Um, why don't you um, explain to our listeners a little bit how you come at the work that you do with a national security eye in this need to solve climate change? It's an absolutely uh, under uh, recognized problem, both within national security spaces and within the climate spaces and in the, the general public. Within climate, there's two ways you can look at the world, uh, both through adaptation and mitigation. Um, and historically, adaptation is changing to the world that's coming. Mitigation is to prevent the worst effects from happening. Um, and security typically focuses on an adaptation mindset, like thinking about, okay, where's the problem going to be in the next few years? So how can we adapt to where that's going? Because in the national security circles, you don't get to control what your uh, adversarial, uh, you know, threat nations of interest might be doing, right? You can right. try to influence them as best you can, but mostly they're the ones that are driving what their behaviors are. And so you have to adapt. That's a problem because frankly, in climate, you can't adapt. Uh, I mean, there's some adaptation that's going to have to happen there, but the scale, the problem has the potential to go well beyond that adaptation. Uh, there's some good papers that talk about that. So for example, the, um, 
The Indian subcontinent has 1.75 billion people between the three countries that form it, Pakistan, Bangladesh, and, and India. In uh, the high emissions uh, scenarios, you're looking at uh, areas uh, of the Indian subcontinent going about 4% or about 70 million people living in areas that are, have fatal heat, which means that you physically will die because the two the combination of dew point and temperature is so high that you can't sweat and cool your body temperature any longer. Um, even with shades, even with so like a loss of electricity indicates like death. People don't live there, like right. And so, what do you do when you uh, have seventy million people in India and Pakistan and Bangladesh all moving? Combined with the fact that Bangladesh is one of the most flood-prone uh, countries in the world, that's definitely the Ganges, Brahmaputra Delta is definitely going to be one of those areas that flood. So you're going to have kind of a mass migration problem, both internally and then eventually it kind of blows out of the borders. Well, by the way, India and Pakistan are both nuclear states. They border a third nuclear state, China. Right? There's a there's a way where this stuff starts snowballing very quickly and it gets well beyond any sort of adaptation mindset from a national security perspective. Right. It's a threat multiplier. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's a threat multiplication uh, scenario. And so and it's like it's like a threat ex- exponential. So you gotta get ahead of the problem. You gotta get left of the boom in military parlance. And uh, to get left of the boom here is you're gonna have to do with some mitigation things. There's a lot of things the Department of Defense can do about it. It's the largest, you know, consumer of energy in the world, for example. But there's a lot of things that are outside of traditional military circles that we need to start thinking about from a national security perspective. That's leveraging technology. It's a lot more of it, the American soft power uh, that we really can bring to bear here. How can we create diplomatic pressure on uh, on other countries? How can we, you know, for example, uh, Senator Cassidy of Louisiana proposed a, a carbon adjustment tax associated with the border. You start bringing in all these policy mechanisms, you start bringing in the soft power, you start, and frankly, you start uh, encouraging American innovation um, in the form of startups in the technology space around climate tech. That's how you get left of the boom, um, is, is you start preventing the worst outcomes from coming to pass. Um, and I think that's, that's absolutely critical to our future. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. And I think that what's really fun and exciting about that, even though it's a response to something negative, right, which is the climate crisis, is that somebody's going to make a lot of money, right? Like hopefully people that start these companies and and come up with the great technologies that are going to help us get to where we need to be, that those will be lucrative. So you sort of, um, you get to be part of the solution, but you get to be part of the solution and, and do well um, at the same time. And I, you know, we're capitalists and there's nothing wrong with wanting to make money. And I tell this to the young people in my life who are worried about their climate futures. I'm like, listen, you or someone in your generation or somebody, whatever, it doesn't even matter. Someone is going or together, it'll be a collective effort. People will are on this and together we'll figure out the problem. But everything that you're saying, you know, are things that we would agree with. You need to have that market price signal with a you know some sort of carbon pricing we love the cassidy bill that puts the um uh fee on carbon imports that are coming into the u.s listeners if you're not familiar with this concept um we've had a few guests talk about it in the past katrina rourke and greg gertelson from the climate leadership council but um this is a way to account for the fact that a lot of u.s industries are more carbon efficient and so if somebody is trying to, if we're trying to import a product that is produced in a high carbon, um, a carbon inefficient nation, they should have to account for their carbon 
emissions when they come to our border because our products are are made with fewer emissions. And so I think that solutions like that are definitely um, going, you know, they tap into that marketplace and they tap into innovative spirit. And those are two things that we can definitely count on way more than we can quick government response, which we know doesn't really happen often. <laughs> you know, as, a, as somebody in business, I think of there's a couple of concepts that like to help to steer my thinking sometimes. One of them is, you know, a standard SWOT analysis, you know, mm-hmm. strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And if you do enough SWOTs, you recognize that threats are also, uh, or excuse me, um, uh, that uh, the opportunities come from problems. Yeah. Um, and so uh, climate is a massive problem. It is also a massive opportunity. Mm-hmm. And uh, this country can either choose to lead or it can, or it'll lag. And if it chooses to lead, it will win the future. If it chooses to lag, it will give the future to somebody else. That is, that's our choice. I also think about product adoption curves, you know, which is, is that like, you know, this, the standard you have, you know, trailblazers and then early adopters and then early market and then late market and laggards. Uh, we are well along the curve. We're, we're well out of the trailblazers uh, and we're moving out of the early adopters and into the early market. Um, and that's a really exciting time uh, from a business perspective because that's when the the adoption curve gets pretty steep, mm-hmm. and you start seeing a lot of people move into the space very quickly. Uh, this opportunity won't come again. The next five years will really define kind of who wins this this market. I think it's super exciting. Um, so it is absolutely it's a huge opportunity to make money, but it's also an indication of like that. I think we're we're seeing a lot of progress on this space. The like the the International Energy Agency has long talk, been underestimating the adoption of uh, renewable energy because it keeps thinking that the curve itself is going to be like that past will predict the future, but it's actually much more of a of an exponential curve. And so even the IEA thinks that we're going to be seeing a rapid uh, adoption of renewable energy, um, and that we're it'll be like seventy percent of the, the global energy portfolio by twenty fifty. They're, and I'm, t- I'm here to tell you, they're underestimating it. Like, and so that's that's a huge opportunity to make money just in that space alone. I had read, this was maybe a month or so ago, that the level, the percent of which EVs need to be part of the market in order for it to be disruptive enough to really start snowballing the you know greater adoption of EVs was like, it's small. It's a single digit, like 2% or 3% or something. And that 2022 was 7%. So 2022 was double whatever the number was that that I have not heard that product adaptation curve um, expression before, but I'm thinking that's kind of what that was, right? Was that you have to adopt at that level in order for things to start to escalate. And so last year that number doubled and, you know, I see it all around just my town and granted, I live on the East coast. We're very dense here. We don't need the long range that you need in vehicles out in the mountain West where you are. But um, I see EV charging stations popping up there at target. They're, you know, all up 95. Now, if you drive up interstate 95 to go North, every rest stop has them. And so, you know, it does change the way that we travel. I will definitely get one in the next year and it might change the way I make my annual trip to Maine. Maybe it means I make it in parts. Maybe it means that I fly (laughs) instead of drive, but whatever the, that thing is like, we're seeing this now we're seeing these technologies. Now we had a little joke before we started recording about computers and just think, you know, when I was in high school, I was handwriting my papers. Right. And here we are today. My kids, don't they they get like a printing allowance in college and they've never once used like a single piece of paper of their printing allowance right like they just that is 
not the the way the future is moving. And so I think this is an exciting time to what you were saying, but but we need to get ahead of that curve. Otherwise, you know, someone's going to be eating our lunch and it's not going to be a country that we want to be eating our lunch. So. All right. We're not a perfect country. We've made mistakes, but uh, you know, whether I choose, if it's, it's a no brainer for me, uh, you know, I'm a proud, you know, patriot and a veteran and uh, I want America to win. Yeah. I want America to win big on this. Um, and I think it's because we're going to be the ones that do the, the best by the world if we do it. But right now uh, it's not totally uh, decided uh, whether this country has decided whether it does want to win. Well, I uh, have said this quote definitely before, but Winston Churchill once said that Americans will always do the right thing once they've tried everything else. <laughs> so hopefully we don't have to try everything else before we get there. And I'm just so grateful to um, broad thinkers like you who are out there really um, making it easier for people to adopt low carbon or zero carbon um businesses and lifestyles. And and I think it does have a trickle down what you were saying earlier about the small businesses, you know, you know, your employees, there's more of a personal feel. And I also think if you're watching your boss or your company make changes, that same, that could make you drive you to want to make personal changes at home. And so, you know, we're all interconnected and we're influenced by what we're influenced by. But I just think that you are really have a great potential to, to, you know, just keep snowballing your impacts across America and hopefully the rest of the world too. Your lips to God's ears. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm excited about it. And yeah, we do see that, you know, like, uh, you know, one of my employees, uh, uh, you know, he lives up in the mountains. He has a very, he likes doing off-roading and, and he has a Jeep and the, the, the whole shoot match. And, you know, we don't really preach here. We're, I'm not in the, in the business of, 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 uh, you know, of making you feel bad about yourself. I just want yeah. to give you information. And, yeah. Uh, so it's interesting as he's started, started spending a little bit more time in the climate space, you know, he doesn't want to give up the Jeep, but he is starting to think about what's the car that I could commute with, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, what's, what's the, what are the things that I can do for home efficiency? Maybe I should get those solar panels. Mm-hmm. And it's just fun without ever having to tell him like, Hey, you should consider this. No preaching here. Yeah. He, but you just see like, as he starts interacting a little bit more with us, he just gets more comfortable with it. And he starts thinking, yep, this is the thing I want to do. So yeah, that's, I think that's, that's the key to it all is about relationships and starting from the bottom up with the people and how can we give them the tools to do the things that they need to do. Um, and so I think those relationships will, will cause the, the whole solution to, to accelerate rapidly. Well, I definitely um, encourage listeners to go check out Mike's blog on the Acclimate website. And also if you're a small business owner, medium biz- business owner, and you're listening and you want to go low or no carbon, hit Mike up and see what you guys can do together. Cause I think this is a really exciting time to be in this, in this space. So thank you for everything you do. Thank you for being on the show. And uh, Hey, I think in five years we should touch base and sort of see where things are at. And hopefully the U S is winning that battle or has won that battle. Absolutely. And I'd love that. And thank you for having me, Chelsea. This has been uh, enjoyable. And now, listeners, some words of gratitude from our team. First up, Bob Inglis. Here at Thanksgiving, I'm very thankful for health and family and uh, those sorts of things. And in the climate space, what I'm thankful for is some real movement right of center on acting on climate change. So, for example... Uh, We have the Prove It Act that's been introduced by Senator Kramer 
a Republican from North Dakota, along with Senator Coons, a Delaware Democrat, that would make it so that we can quantify the carbon emissions for key American products. And that's going to help us when dealing with the carbon tariff that will begin to be imposed by the European Union in 2026. Another thing I'm very thankful for is Senator Cassidy, a Republican from Louisiana, introducing the Foreign Pollution Fee Act. That's an important step toward recognizing the need to make climate action go worldwide by bringing accountability to our trading partners. So I'm very thankful that these two things in particular seem to be moving and that uh, things are beginning to happen right of center on climate change. A lot to be thankful for at Thanksgiving 2023. And now from our producer, Price Atkinson. Well, I'm certainly thankful for my family, for my health, and for all the many blessings that we have here you know, under you know this roof that we live in and to have heat and have water especially considering the geopolitical unrest that's happening in so many places around the world. Uh, but without a doubt, uh, just thankful for every single you know, blessing that we have here, not just at home, but in the United States. And certainly thankful for our team here at Republican.org, for Bob, for Chelsea, for Angela, and for everybody that's signed up to stand with us, that's listened to the podcast, and to be able to work with so many people on events. But at the end of the day, just very thankful to be able to work in this climate space and trying to move the needle, push the needle forward, and move it ever so slightly every single day when feet hit the ground. Angela Lark, our engagement director. What am I thankful for? I feel like there are so many things in my life to be thankful for, but with recent elections, Veterans Day, and the Israel-Hamas conflict, I'm heavily reminded of how thankful I am for the freedoms afforded us as Americans. I'm thankful for the ability to participate in free and fair elections. I'm thankful to those who have served in the military, sacrificing their time and their lives to protect the freedoms I enjoy. And last but not least, I'm thankful for the relative peace and security I experience in my daily life. And I think you know this last person. Hello, listeners. This is your host, Chelsea Henderson. And I'm going to reflect for a moment on what I am thankful for this year. I am thankful to see both of my sons really thriving in college. As a parent, that's just so joyous to see them become adults, and I'm looking forward to catching up with them over the holidays. I'm also really grateful that I have a book coming out next year to have had a manuscript that was purchased by a publisher and to have the opportunity to work on that book, Glacial, The Inside Story of Climate Politics, um, was just really the highlight of a year and maybe a decade and maybe my life. Um, and also thankful for this team here at RepublicIan.org. They're really the best. Bob, Angela, Price, and from aside, our pal Alex Bosmoski. I really um, wouldn't be here without any of them. So thankful for all those things. My heart is full this Thanksgiving season. Now continue on the Eco Rights Speaks podcast. Visit republicen.org online to sign up and stand with us. Rice, it's almost Thanksgiving. 
Happy Thanksgiving. Happy almost Turkey Day. I mean, this is our happy Thanksgiving episode since listeners just programming note, we will not be in your ears next week because, uh, well, I'm not going to be making a turkey because I'm not making turkey. Mm-hmm. Jack and I, it's just me, me and Jack, and we're going to make little mini beef wellingtons. I know, sacrilegious, but uh, yeah, no, we'll we'll give you your time with your family or to travel or whatever you plan to do next week, listeners, and then um, we'll be back in your ears after the holiday. But yeah, it's what are your plans, Price? What are you guys going to do? We are going to be at the beach next week. We It's rare we get our timeshare to fall on Thanksgiving week, and it's been many, many it's been a very long time, and my wife has always wanted to do Thanksgiving at the beach, so this is going to be our first time doing it, so we're all really, really excited about it. I love this for you. I yeah. think that is going to be amazing. It's the break that you all need and deserve, and that's special. Those will be special memories that you create with your kids, and so yay. Yay, you guys. Yeah, yeah, you guys too. So it's going to be the, the break we all deserve next the week. break we all deserve. You too, listeners. We know you deserve a break as well, but hopefully you enjoyed uh, today's guest, you know, kind of a, not a guy that I think takes many breaks and he's quite the, uh, the hustler out there. You know, when you are the co-founder of a startup, you really do have to be, uh, out and about and constantly living and breathing your work. And we're just grateful that his work is connected to climate change and helping those small and mid-sized sized companies figure out how to go low or net zero Mm -hmm. carbon and price, uh, I'm super happy to share with our listeners that if they want to um, take advantage, any business owners that want to take advantage of their offerings, they can get a discount, a 10% discount off an annual plan if they subscribe by December 15th. And so what they are going to want to do actually is email me at chelsea at republicen.org for Mm -hmm. that link, and uh, but 10% off having uh acclimate help you with your um path to net zero so uh always nice when we can offer the listeners a little something even though it requires something bigger and more on their end well thank you to to mike smith and his team for for you know providing our listeners not only doing the interview but in bringing all that outstanding information conversation everything but also bringing an offer to our listeners to take advantage of. So that's uh, quite, quite uh, generous of him. Yeah, it was, it was a great interview. I enjoyed talking to him and I hope that, you know, we can have him back someday, maybe to sort of celebrate uh, that more people are taking these steps toward uh, net zero. So yeah, enjoyed the conversation. And it's always nice to talk to somebody who uh, knows how to, make his point. I mean, we, we joked about this after just, uh, when you're in that, that, um, ecosystem of startup community, you know, you have to be able to make your elevator pitch. And Mm -hmm. I just felt like he was good with his answers and very clear. And again, I just really, um, I can't say enough about that conversation. Yeah, it was great. And, uh, speaking of conversations, we won't have one next week, as you mentioned, as we will be taking the week off for Thanksgiving. But I already know who our next guest is going to be when we come back. Fill us in. All right. So we're going to be talking to Nate Adams and Alexander Gard-Murray. They are with the Greenhouse Institute. And you know, Price, I've been wanting to talk about this for a long time. They're going to give us 
heat pumps 101. So anyone that has been curious about how heat pumps work, why they're a better alternative in um, the, the HVACs, you know, pr- you can have them in obviously your mm-hmm. commercial buildings, but in your home, you know, this is something that I'm thinking about as a climate conscious um, home homeowner. So really excited to get the gist from them on that. Yeah. Excited to bring you and our listeners that conversation after the Thanksgiving holiday as we barrel toward the end of 2023 and season seven, and we will have another season for you, season eight to be exact, coming up in 2024, Chelsea. I mean, can you believe it? It's almost it's, season eight. It is hard to believe that we have come this far in really a short period of time. So it's been a lot of fun along the way. It has been it has been a blast to you know have these conversations that you bring and find these interviews. It takes time. Some very interesting uh, off the radar guests, and you know that's what we try and do is try and bring something a little something to to everybody here for all our listeners that you know that invest their time uh, in listening every single week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, wherever it is you listen to your podcast. We are thankful in the spirit of of gratitude. We are thankful for you. I mean, we would not be making this podcast if people weren't listening, <clears throat> and so just grateful to have the um the regulars and mm-hmm. uh, to get the feedback, you know, and I get, I get critique feedback too. I just, I don't need to just be loved and adored all the time. Although mm-hmm. I kind of do. Um, it's nice <laughs> to have someone say, Hey, you know, I, I've had people say that's this point that they made. Here's an article relating to that. La la la. I've had people say, mm-hmm. you know, that audio wasn't so great this week. So, um, you know, it's just uh, the all feedback is welcome feedback. Yes. Yes, it is. And let us uh, be thankful for some of our new members that signed up uh, since last week, which you can do so at Republican.org forward slash join takes mere seconds. This week, we are thankful for Paul S. in Idaho, Catherine W. in North Carolina, Lena W. in New Hampshire, Tony C. in Missouri, and Carl R. in Louisiana. And we are thankful even for those that we did not mention right there as we've had many sign up since last week but we just pull a random sample of five to shout out each week but again you can sign up to stand with us we need you power and numbers republican.org forward slash join we don't spam you it just takes a little bit of time out of your day to to stand with us for such obviously uh, to be an important voice and an important cause that's right and we like friends so be our friend We love friends. And until, (laughs) how about that? Until next week, friend, hope you have a happy Thanksgiving and we will talk to all our friends again when we come back. That's great. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.